This episode was made possible by our incredible patrons who faithfully support the work of amplifying the voices of spiritual abuse survivors. We are an extremely small team comprised of just two families with a passion for stories and image bearers. We committed early on to not monetizing any of the stories and rely solely on the donations of our Patreon community to operate. If you value this work and are able to contribute, you can join for as little as $5 a month. Another way you can support us is by following, rating, and reviewing the podcast. It only takes a moment, but it has a big impact on our reach. Thank you for daring to listen. Hello, and welcome back to the Bodies Behind the Bus podcast. I'm Jonna Harris, and this is part two of Joy's story. So if you have not had the chance to listen to part one yet, pause right now, go listen to that, and then come back here for the conclusion. You are not going to want to miss how much wisdom and integrity that Joy brings to this conversation as she shares her story with us. With that, let's jump right back in. I am all about blessed subtraction. There, there is a pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus. <laughs> and by God's grace, it'll be a mountain by the time we're done. You either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. Those are the options. But the bus ain't gonna stop. You either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. Those are the options. But the bus ain't gonna stop. Because I, I did, I asked them, I was like, how is this even fair? I don't understand. And um, they wouldn't listen. I mean, they, they met with me on that first day. Um, presented the charges and said, you are removed from your ministry effective immediately, which was heartbreaking because we had our big spring Bible study coming up that I'd spent months working on and I wasn't going to get to do that. Couldn't come to staff meeting anymore. Like I remember my my daughters at the time would come with me because my oldest was being homeschooled that one year and then the little ones would come along and they'd play with their friends like during the staff meeting and they just both like the first Tuesday that I couldn't go they're like why and they started crying I was like I can't go anymore and it was just this like the hurt like it wasn't just me it was my kids and it was just so evident that they hadn't thought through any of what they were doing or if they did they I don't know they just didn't care I have two questions for you one had as ridiculous as it is had they come to you and said this is not working out we want to move in a different direction and I'm sorry but like we're going to choose someone else to run the women's ministry would have been a discussion, but would you have just respected that? You wouldn't have really had a choice. Right. Yeah. I mean, like I had been ready to give up part of my position, you know, the year previous um, and never got clarity around that. And it so it just never happened. And yeah, like that's for me, it was like, why these these charges? Like, why have I not heard about any of this? Like, if these are problems that like why I would have loved to know like I I would have wanted to know um well, so that I could work on it and I ask that because that makes this different to me like they had an opportunity to take you out regardless of if it was healthy or wise or good in any other way but they chose a way that would devastate you and devastate your reputation 
in your character, which mm-hmm. that makes it much more pointed and much more purposeful and malicious. And there's not really room to wiggle with that to me because anyone who's been a leader in any capacity, you you knew this even within your ministry. Like you can people might not like it, but sometimes things have to change in the structure. And it is what it is. You don't bring formal charges against them to get them removed. Like you just make a decision Mm -hmm. as a leader. I feel like that's important just for you and all of us to realize is like this was an exaggerated, dramatic character assassination of you. And it was purposeful Mm -hmm. and chosen that way. Well, you could also have the the six months you're meeting with him, he could have easily come back from sabbatical and just sat down with you and said, hey, I'm going to have to put a new leader in place and here's why. Here's A, B, and C, and D. And you may not agree Mm -hmm. with A, B, and C, and D, but he's telling you and and he's saying this is why. And he could even say, hey, we used the six months. We never got anywhere. I mean, the proper thing to do would be to say, Joy, I need to make a leadership change Unless these things, I see these, we can work on these three, three or four things. If we can work on these three or four things over the next, you know, four months or so, I think we can stay status quo. If not, I'm going to have to make a change there. And I'm like making this very simplistic from like a, you know, a point of view of how to have that conversation just to bring you in and say, oh, I'm going to bring these charges against you. And there was like, I think like, like, like 10 or 12. And so like that to me goes back to John's point to be like, it was for, it was very, it became more personal. That was what, so my husband's in leadership, you know, in his, his role in corporate America. And he said, this is a leader or leadership that is trying to avoid responsibility rather than doing the hard thing that would have really put them under scrutiny. And immediately when you bring charges up at a church, and and you're out of your leadership position. It creates this place of gossip, is what they would say. It creates a space where people are talking about it and making assumptions of you. And so it's also very calculated because it's a it's a it's a presentation for everybody to see to say this is what's going on. What's going on with Joy? Well, I'm not going to talk about it. There's an investigation. Who was told about it? Yeah. How how was it announced? So it was announced to specific groups. It felt like a hit because like I had like a mafia hit or something because I had my meeting and they I had the my Bible study team and then my women's shepherding team. I had I found out later after the fact that the lead pastor had set up meetings with each of them for later in that same day to say, "Hey, guess what? Joy's gone. You have to continue on without her." Did they present that there was charges brought against you in those meetings? Mm-hmm. So were people thinking yeah. like, "I'll tell you," yeah. like my gut goes to immediately if I hear like there's been charges brought against this church leader, I immediately think sexual abuse. Because that's the only time mm-hmm. I've yeah. ever actually seen it, really, unless it has to do with women in churches now that I do a podcast. But prior to this, <laughs> I would have thought that was that was that kind of something that was being whispered about you? Yeah, well, that's what I heard from a number of people who were like, when I heard they were like, char- the words charges and investigation are very loaded. And like a friend of mine was like, when I heard it, when she heard it initially, she's like, it's either abuse or she's teaching heresy, like, or she's, you know, sleeping with someone and you know, who's not her husband, like, 
there are like a very specific meanings that come across with that word. And thankfully for me, like the majority of people that were told that turned around and called me and were like, I'm really sorry. I can't believe what in the world is going on. They didn't think that, but there were just, you know, out beyond the closest group of friends. I know that there were people whispering about it. And and that's what so many people went to the pastors and said, you can't announce that Joy is um, under investigation and has charges brought against her because you're communicating something really damaging to her reputation that isn't true. But they wouldn't listen. So they do this investigation. Like, what was it? What was the investigation? Who did the investigation? What were the like steps to investigating? Well, initially, I had to write a response to the charges, um, which I did. Can you can you outline for listeners what the charges were? Okay. Um, yeah. You don't have to go in super depth, but like, what was brought against you that was needing to be investigated? They said that I was divisive and hard to work with that I was, quote-unquote, losing influence with the women of Exodus. Then a big one was social media concerns, they said, which I was like, well, of course, I posted about the Great Sex Rescue, a lack of wisdom and a lack of humility around that. And then she is not delegating, and she has an unhealthy preoccupation with power. I did get called power-hungry in one of the examples by an anonymous man. It's really just painfully ironic. Like that is, (laughs) it's so cliche. Like it's so cliche. It was just like a character assassination overall. Like um, it wasn't, there were almost no examples, no real like clarity of here are some actual things you've done. It was just basically, we don't like you and you're a bad person. You know, that was kind of what it boiled down to. Because like one of the other ones was like, Joy has displayed a tendency to equate the ministry with her personally, which is like, what? I don't even know what that means. And I mean, initially, when I saw all of those, I was like, this is crazy. Like, this is just a smear. This is an attack on me. But I walked away from the meeting and I was like, you know, I just need to make sure it's possible that we can be blind to like sins or flaws in our character. Is there something here that really has merit that I'm missing? Am I completely oblivious? Have I been doing things and people are hurt or upset? And I don't know. So like, as I started, all of the women on staff reached out to me because they were told charges are brought against Joy and she's gone. And so they all called me and were like, are you okay? What's going on? And so what I just did is like, it's it was like a one page sheet. And I just like sent a picture of it to them. And I was like, look, this is what's happening. Like, I'm really hurt, um, shocked. Like, if any of this is true of me, would you let me know? Because I, I was just like, I need to know. But like over and over and over from everybody that saw that, they were like, this is insane. Like, none of this is true of you. And this just seems like someone is out to get you was kind of the the response I heard over and over again. Something fascinating to ponder on is the way that he had been gaslighting you for the past year. He was very often throughout your story that you've told today, you have given us um, defining words that were put onto you like manipulative, you just want to tell people what to do, you're bossy or power hungry. Like he was setting the stage for this in your own psyche for like a year prior to these charges getting dropped. So of course you see these things and you're like, 
is this me? Because I've been being told this is me for a year. But then every time I ask for clarity or direction or help understanding why that's being said, I'm just met with nothing. Nothing. Horrendous. So you're like your brain is already prepped and ready to just like accept that this is who you are. And it, like so many people do accept like this is just who I am because this person that has a spiritual authority over me has told me that. And I'm really grateful that you had at least enough people around you willing to say that's not true of who I know you to be. But that doesn't really mm-hmm. make it yeah. that much better considering what happens next. So why don't you continue forward? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I like wrote 10 pages of response and it was so sad because I was like, I wrote really like in-depth responses and I sent it off and I'm like, surely there's just been some huge misunderstandings here. I'm trying to think like of the six, there were six elders at the time. Every one of them had been in our home, some of them multiple times for meals and we'd been in theirs. These were not just people that we knew in passing. They were our friends. And so I was just like, we can work this out. Surely we can work this out. And I I underestimated the the level of unhealth that was going on in the dynamics between the lead pastor and the rest of them and just um, how, and how willing, like you were saying, John, like there's a script about like who a woman must be if you aren't falling into these expected roles or if you challenge a man in leadership. Um, There's another script about the kind of woman you are. They're going to punish you for that. And, um, and I think it was a combination of those things that these guys that we trusted and loved were so willing to be like, oh, well, Joy's not the person we thought she is. She's actually a divisive, power-hungry woman who needs to be pushed out of leadership. Yeah, so I wrote my response and like weeks went by and I didn't hear anything back. And meanwhile, the women on staff were like up in arms talking to the lead pastor and the other pastors like, why are you guys doing this? This is not fair. Do you realize how much you're hurting joy? And they're all telling me about this and um, I'm still hearing nothing. And they even have a two hour staff meeting where the women are like voicing their complaints, but they're not talking to me. They're not engaging with me. They're not even reaching out to me. Like they're just focused on how can we get the staff back on track and working again so we can continue. So what they eventually did was interviewed 23, I think it's 23 women about me. That was their investigation is they sat them down in a room with two elders each, um, each woman, and then read off everything on the list of charges and said to them. Was a woman in the mm-hmm. room with nope. them aside from themselves? Nope. Oh, awesome. I know. Any pastors listening right now, that's a big, hard, fat no. (laughs) I know. And it was so sad because like we had talked over and over about like the necessity for women to not be in a situation where they are the only female in the room with a bunch of male leadership. And they did it anyway. Like I had talked to the the pastors about it and they did it. And um, the women, a number of them that had to go through it, like came to me and were like, it was really uncomfortable. It was really hard. Like they just said, is, do you think joy is this? Do you think joy is this? And like all of 
the women on staff were like, I just said no to everything. That's not who you are. Yeah, that was their investigation. And never in all of it, I mean, from the first day when I was taken out and the charges presented through responding in writing, I asked over and over again, will I get a chance to speak to you guys? Can I sit? Because I never even, when the elders presented the charges, it was just the lead pastor and the two youngest and newest elders who did it. The ones that we knew the best that, you know, known the longest were not even there. And so I was like, can we just sit down? Can I talk to all of you together? I have a lot of questions about how this happened. I think there's probably some misinformation. I just think a good conversation would clear this all up. But they refused to let me speak. Um, They wouldn't answer my questions. I texted one guy in particular over and over like, hey, can I talk to you guys? Well, like, are you going to answer the list of questions that I sent you a month ago? That to me, like, as I'm trying to like work through and heal from it, the trauma of it was the being silenced. Me asking over and over again, will you please listen to me? Please listen to me. This is hurting me. Will you stop? Slow down. Let me speak. And they're just like, no, we're going to do this to you no matter what. And you can't speak. So... I think it's important for us all to just sit with the fact that being silenced was one of the key things that traumatized her in this. And I just want to give you like a little shout out that today you're you're breaking that. And that's really cool to witness. And I'm just so proud of you that you're taking your voice back and telling your story and and using your own voice to share your side of things. And this is just ridiculous. This investigation happens. People that are completely unqualified to be doing the most basic of tasks, it sounds like, are running this investigation. They don't know what they're doing. There's no rhyme or reason for how they're doing it beyond they are they are doing what they need to do to get the results that they are pre-planning to get. What happens Like, what happens next? Do they tell you what the results are? No one comes to you. Are you ever interviewed for this investigation? No, no, Hmm. never. I was never given a chance to speak for myself. So February 3rd was the day that the charges were presented. They, in the month or so following that, they, you know, did their investigations and so on. I found out that they were going to make a decision, like rule on it. And I, you know, had been asking over and over again, like, can we speak? Can I speak for myself? And I I finally said, look, I know you're making the decision. Like, can we please talk? Like I, and they said, fine, we can meet. Um, But it was, so February 3rd was the initial charges. March 26th was the first time I got to sit down with them. And at this point, they had already interviewed all the women and they had made their decision, like rendered the verdict. And the meeting was just so they could tell me what they had decided. They presented this huge Deacon investigation report um, where they said, here are the things that we affirm and here are the things that we do not affirm. They had listened to all these people and made decisions without ever giving me a chance to speak for myself. And they said, you're divisive and hard to work with, and you have an unhealthy preoccupation with power. Those are two of the ones they affirmed. They said, uh, you are officially, permanently now removed from your office of deacon, and we'll give you a 
path for reconciliation and restoration. But at this point, there was a lot of frustration among the women on staff, the other leaders within the ministry, uh, friends, just throughout the church. People that knew about this were upset, frustrated, had been asking me and my husband, like, what's going on? What are updates? What's happening? And so, like, We ended up having like five other couples come with us to this meeting on the 26th um, because they were just like, we're uncomfortable. Like, we don't like what's going on. We need some answers to know what's happening. Initially, the pastors were like, you guys can just be here to listen and you're not allowed to speak. They said that to these people. They did not listen to that, thankfully, and, you know, proceeded to have like, it was a five hour meeting that we had of just like, there was so much tension and so much frustration in the room of people being like, you guys have not done this right. You're not treating Joy right. This isn't fair. It was horrific um, because it became clear like they weren't, the pastors weren't going to listen. They weren't weren't open to considering that they had made a mistake. So that whole five hours happens what happens next? Like, where do you go from there? So in that meeting, you know, they've already made their decision and they were like, they had already planned to have like a congregational meeting where they were going to announce this to everybody. And our friends who came along were like, one, do you realize like you just slandered joy repeatedly by the way you've handled this? We finally got to the end of that meeting and I read them a letter like to all the pastors, just like, and I remember like reading it and just like weeping. Like I have never cried in my life. I can't believe you guys have treated us like this. We love you. Like, please like reconsider, like, this is not okay. We need to work this out and we believe we can. And we ended on that note and, um, with like nothing resolved because it was just finally like, we're not getting anywhere. Like this is going nowhere at all. They said, we're, you know, we're going to talk some more as, as elders and, and we'll get back to you. They responded a few days later over email to us and we're like, we're postponing the members meeting, which we were like, okay, good. Like that's a win, but they're not going to like (laughs) put me, you know, on display to publicly shame me right now. And they actually like we there was this moment where it was like, okay, maybe they're going to listen because they sent an email where they're like, we made some mistakes in this and we're sorry. And like one of the things they said was the way we communicated about this led people to assume the worst of you. And that was a mistake. And we're sorry. And it looked good on paper. But like as I read through it, I was like, one, this is an email and it's not being sent to me. It's being sent to these other five couples that were with me are all key leaders in our church. And to me, it looks like they're trying to save face with these leaders. The kicker in all of it was they said, but joy, you know, joy, something to the effect of like, we had hope that you were going to like behave yourself basically. But it has come to our attention that you're telling people in the church that what we're doing is unbiblical. You need to stop being divisive like this. And it was just this like, we're sorry, but we're not sorry. And that to me was just crushed the last little bit of hope that I had because there were so many factors there. Like I had, (laughs) so one of the big issues was like, 
over time, people kept coming to me like, what's going on? What's going on? And I'm constantly texting people, like giving them updates, you know, whatever I had. And eventually, like as we got closer to our meeting, I sent out a couple of emails, like just updating. Like this was like 40 people by the time, like just saying like, here's what's going on. And they were all like, how can we pray? So basically I sent out emails like, here's what's happening and here's how you can pray. And like every one of those emails that I sent, and I think you guys sent them to you, um, was not like stirring up like, hey, look how bad the pastors are. They're terrible. Like, you know, let's go to war. It was just like, we love them. They've made a mistake. Please pray for them. Pray, pray that we can work this out. But that like my talking openly about what was happening, I think ultimately became the thing that they wanted to punish me for more than anything. Um, but I had stopped. Like when I realized after that first meeting, when I realized they were so upset about it, and like this goes back to that theme of silence, I was like, okay, if this is so upsetting to them and it's undermining the process of us hopefully reconciling, I won't do it. Like I stopped sending emails, um, even though the emails were not inflammatory or like trying to incite conflict. So I stopped. But after that first meeting, some one person, a woman texted me and she, a bunch of people texted me just checking in and I answered them, um, but I didn't send out any group emails. But one in particular, she said, well, Joy, why don't you just step down from your role? If, you know, like, why are you going through this? And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not in my, like, I've been taken out. Like, that's not an option. And I said, like, I am not here. Like, I don't want to do any of this to get a role. Like, I'm not interested in having a position here. Like, my concern is, um, like, the health of our church at this point. Like, what the pastors are doing, it's unjust and unbiblical. And I think we need to, like, call this out and and work through it. Well, evidently, this woman then turned around and told the pastors that I had said this. Um, but she didn't tell me that she had a problem with me saying it. You know, it's it's a theme, like this kind of network of people acting like informants. Um, and I don't know that she was malicious in what she was doing. I think it was more like she was just like, oh, no, what's going on? And told them. But, you know, they responded to that email with like, Joy, you're being divisive because you're telling people, quote unquote, even though it was one person, you know, over text that we're unbiblical and you need to stop. It's not that they are actually just doing things that are unbiblical and unjust. It's that right. you're telling people. Right. That was that was the sad thing. Like the theme through all of this was like people kept telling them over and over again, like what you're doing isn't right. This isn't fair. It's not just. And rather than like reflecting, like, wait, are we doing the wrong thing? It immediately was always like, well, they must be saying that because Joy is telling them to like, she's the problem. It's her fault. Yeah. Because we're not, we don't, they don't think they were wrong. They have right. ultimate authority and it's completely within the bounds to just do whatever they want or say whatever they want to you. Mm -hmm. And also as someone who read the, uh, what did they call it? The Deacon's investigation report. Is that mm -hmm. what it was called? The Deacon's? Yeah. Yeah. The, DI, the DIC. Uh, <laughs> as someone who has read the DIC, it wasn't like it was a robust and they didn't answer really anything. It was like, we agree. We disagree. We right. agree. We right. disagree. Like it wasn't a report. It was like a guy who right. did an outline. And then, and then yep. it's like, here you go. Here's my outline. So it's, it gets worse. <laughs> oh my gosh. So you get the report 
you get the email. Did you request a third party be brought in at this point? I had not yet. No, I, I would have. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I would have because at, by the time we got to that, I, I don't know that I would have been listened to or, or that they would have even considered it. But um, yeah, after that, um, we had another meeting um, with our friends and with the pastors, which um, did not go well either because like in that meeting, I came with like a list of Bible verses where I was like, look, this is why what is going on here is not biblical. And as I was like going through that, the lead pastor interrupted me and he's like, Joy, what's your point? It's almost five o'clock. And it was just the the contempt and the lack of care for, or lack of interest in engaging in anything I had to say. Um, it was so evident, like they weren't going to listen. Mm-hmm. I stopped, but we also, and this is the sad thing is just how much they were unwilling to listen because not only did he cut me off, um, one of the women staff members was in that meeting with us and she said, what you guys are doing right now, this is abusive. It is not okay. And immediately that same dynamic of like, I'm going to shutting down women. The lead pastor was like, wait a minute, wait. Who in here believes this is abusive? Raise your hand. And, you know, the majority of the people that were with us, a couple were like, well, I don't know if I would use the term abusive, but it's really problematic. But a number of them raised their hand and said, yeah, this is abusive. And again, like instead of like stepping back and reflecting and being like, wow, a large number of significant leaders in our church think we are acting in an abusive way. They were just like, well, actually what we're doing is biblical. Um, But at that meeting, or I think it was another meeting still, so many meetings, they finally brought us back because there was still pushback from these, from us and from these people. And they brought us in and they said, look, we're going to bring a third party in just to address the concerns that all of you have brought. We want somebody to look at this process, look at what we've, what we've done and just make sure that it's okay. Which would be good if it had been a neutral third party, but the person that they brought in had actually himself helped them to develop the investigation process from the beginning. And was this person another Acts 29 affiliated pastor? So yeah, so they informed us at this meeting that they were going to bring a third party in. And it was Dwayne Bond, who is the Acts 29 I believe his title is nationally, it's a director of pastoral care. And he was the pastor of a nearby church. And he was friends with our lead pastor. And one of the other elders had previously been a member of his church. So he was pretty well connected to our lead pastor and to the elders there. He had come and spoken on Sundays when our pastor wasn't around, like he had preached at our church. They said, yeah, he is going to run through his counseling business. He's going to run a third party review of this process. They told us this, it was in May of last year was that meeting when they let us know, I think I started crying because I was just like, I, this is not fair. Like, this is not going to go well, you guys. Like at this point I had been starting to read more about like 
what, you know, I think I read a church called Tove and when narcissism comes to church and I was trying to kind of untangle everything that was going on. And I said in that meeting, I'm like, I know this is not going to go well. Like this is one, your friend. And he already, you had told us early on that he had been involved in creating the process that was used to investigate me and take me out of my role. Like, how is this even fair? And I remember like, I just started crying. I was like, I don't know how much longer I can take this. This has been going, it was going on for over three months at this point. And I was just devastated. And I walked out of the room just crying, went to the bathroom, like clean myself up. And when I came back in, one of my friends hugged me and she's like, you know, it's, it's okay. I think they're listening to us now. The sad thing was so many of these people that came along in those meetings weren't as aware of the power dynamics and the, the problematic use of power that was going on there. And so they were really naively and hopefully like, okay, we have a third party investigation. Like he's going to see this and like, we'll get this sorted out. And so they were like, I think, I think they're listening. I think this is taking a good turn. But for me, I was just like, this is not going to go well. You know, you, they're calling their friend to cover for them is what's going to happen. Did we name the group? Yeah, we did. Proximus. So on their website, they, the services are called counseling, coaching, speaking, career consulting, and financial coaching. So nowhere in there does it talk about third-party investigations. From what I can tell, Mm -hmm. there's nothing on the website that really alludes to that. Now, I could do a good scrub of it. So again, it, it doesn't really make sense that this is the resource you would engage Um, to do any type of third-party investigation of any type of processes or any type of situation like what was going on at your church. Right, yeah. They had no experience or qualifications for doing this um, from everything that I've seen. And the way we ended up getting treated kind of made that clear. How was it um, engaging with Proximus? It was horrible. From the very beginning, it was like we had to fight to get any kind of contact any kind of answers to even get a response to our emails. We never had a phone number that we were able to call to get in touch directly. We had to wait for them to call us throughout it. Because after that very first that, that meeting when we were told, and, and I mean, we brought up our concerns and they said, well, you can talk to him, talk to Dwayne Bond about your concerns. My husband went home and like he called him and emailed him and then emailed him again. And he got like a little response that was like, oh, I'll, I'll get back to you later. And there was nothing. And so we had to like, go through this like long email back and forth with the lead pastor, like, hey, why is he not answered? Like, we'd like to just have an upfront conversation with Dwayne Bond about why we're struggling to trust that he will review this fairly. And he won't even answer our phone call. Like, how how is this supposed to give us any confidence that this process is fair? So finally, lead, the lead pastor emails Dwayne Bond and says, okay, well, can you talk to them? So it was just like the whole power dynamics. It was very clear. Like we didn't have a voice. We weren't the one, like the church obviously was the one paying the bills and in control of the whole thing. And we had to beg just to be heard. Um, And that's basically the way, you know, the next, it was 
three months worth of interactions with them went. Did you ever talk to him at all? So we finally were able to have a phone call where we shared our concerns and we said, look, we're willing to do this. This is why, you know, we were worried that you won't, might not be fair. And, you know, he listened to us. He had a colleague, a woman um, that met, you know, was involved along with, along with him. And, and he said, look, you know, I, I know I was involved in creating it. I didn't see the whole process. So, you know, it's not like I did every part of it and I think I can be fair. And, you know, like we were stuck, you know, like we didn't have a choice. Like either we had to go along with it or we could have just backed out and said, no, we're done. But like it was a lose-lose situation, you know? Something that was like so weird about those emails to me is that they like self-destructed. I think that's a point to be made. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've never yeah. gotten a self-destructing email in my life. Yes. It was like yeah. you were like <laughs> conversing yeah. with like the CIA yeah. or something. It was very like it set a really bad tone. It was like, I guess Gmail has this confidential mode where like you send an email and it will disappear after 24 hours or something like that. And so that's how they sent all their emails to us. Everything that was conveyed to us was like, we don't trust you and we're not going to like even let you keep our emails. Like, yeah, as time went by, like I screenshotted once like things got really bad. I started screenshotting their emails just to have a record because they ended up lying about us um, later on down the road. But it was just there was nothing professional about the process in no way were we treated with respect or even the kind of care for someone that is obviously like hurting as we like expressed repeatedly well even if like they're they're viewing you they have positioned you as the villain of this story so they're viewing you as the protagonist right like you're like the mm -hmm. you're the bad guy so why would we coalesce to your desires even in that case like this still doesn't make sense like even if they are all of the things you said, this process is not good or wise or fair. It's just mind blowing. Joy, you've listened to the podcast some and other people who have listened like you'll know like this is not uncommon within the Acts 29 network for these random. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't even firms. What are they? Mm -hmm. People, these random people to yeah. decide yeah. that they are now like investigators and have the capabilities and the education to go into these spaces and like do a fair investigation and they are destroying people's lives like they are covering for abusers. I'm saying this broad strokes. I'm not necessarily pointing out anyone in particular but this is happening like widespread where abuse is being covered yeah other people's lives are being ruined in the process of these investigations it's so unhealthy and it's unprofessional if he was involved in any way to even accept right. this to do the investigation so if he was involved with the story and he yeah. knows that he knows because that. he has ethics training and so he should be like i can't do it in my opinion, I think you should say, hey, I can't do this investigation because I've been involved and I'm going to and, and I I'm a counselor or whatever he is. Right. He's investigating himself. Yeah. Right. He's investigating his own thing that he was a part of. <laughs> Let me investigate myself here. I need another exactly. D.I.R. on this, yeah. guys. So 
So after you talk with him, do you submit any type of documentation? Do you talk again? What does that look like? Yeah. Well, after we finally were able to talk, they were like, whenever you submit your documents, we can take a look at them. And we're like, what? Wait, we could submit documents? You know, we were given no information, no instructions as to what we should do. And I was like, I don't think it matters what I send. But I sent them a couple of the emails that I had written. And I sent them like I had a friend. (laughs) It was great. She wrote like this 15 page like analysis of why what the pastors had done was unbiblical and she submitted it to them on my behalf. Um, I don't think they ever like read it or did anything with it, but you know, I sent that along to, um, Dwayne to Proximus and, um, and we also sent them. So we said to them on the phone call, please, please talk to the people who came with us to the meeting. Like you need to hear from someone other than us and other than the pastors. And we have these couples who are leaders in the church who have seen what's going on and and know pretty well. And they, like we read off their names and the woman, she was like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like she was like reading off a list, like, yeah, I've got their names. And then we forwarded them an email with everybody's email address. So this will like become important later on. But, um, you know, we begged them not just on that call, but when we finally a month later met in person and then over email as well, like, please talk to the people that were involved in this with us. Please ask these leaders for their opinions. And they never did except for talking to one guy, our, our community group leader and his wife had been in the room in those meetings and they talked to him at the very last minute for just a very little bit didn't talk to his wife so you don't know the scope of the investigation you're you're just you're you're late to the game right you're you're late to the game as far as they've already got information from the church and now you're allowed to submit information you talk a total of what three times maybe with yeah. the investigator uh, no, twice. We met up, twice. we had a phone call and then just before, so at this point we had decided to um, leave the state, like we moved out of state. But before we did, we were like, we will have our meeting with you. Um, and we did sit down with um, Dwayne and his colleague and it was like, we were expecting something to be like, for them to have a list of questions or to have like clarity around like, here's what we're investigating. And all they did was like, so tell us what's going on. And so they just kind of let us tell our story. And like, we didn't really know, but I just, you know, we shared our concerns. My husband shared how like hurt we had been. I mean, he reached out to some of those pastors over the time and was like a number of times through these months and was just like, why are you guys ignoring us? Why have you cut us off? Why are you treating us like this? Like we are broken and the fact that you have stopped talking to us is really hurtful. Not a single one of them like reached out, showed any care. And so he shared that with, you know, in this um, meeting. And I also said like, look, I see some real concerns about the lead pastor, the way he's been acting. I laid out some of them. Um, I said like, you know, this is like echoes. I've, (laughs) This was just after the Mars Hill podcast had come out. And like I had seen so many parallels between that kind of domineering leadership where a strong leader surrounds himself by pe- with people who don't question him 
And I was just like, look, I'm, I'm really concerned. And in my heart, I'm thinking, okay, one, you're investigating this and this is relevant information that is really important. And two, like if you're his friend and involved, because our lead pastor for a long time was the regional director for the Southeast, like as someone in leadership within X29, like you need to take care of this pastor who's unhealthy. He needs care. He needs someone to step in and and help him. You know, we got to the end of that meeting and the only question they had for us at the end was, so what have you learned about yourself through all of this? And and I was just like, really? Like, is this a counseling session or is this like a third party investigation? I don't, it, it was so off. It made us really question like, what is going on? What for what anyone listening here? that is not from an Acts 29 church, this is so unbelievably textbook. Like Jay could write a script without hearing Joy's story and write this scene. Like it is textbook how Acts 29 deals with abuse allegations. Yeah. Well, and it's probably not just Acts 29. It's probably other church organizations too. And so, <clears throat> which is sad to say. So, yeah, unfortunately, Joy's, Joy, your story is not, in my opinion, it's not uncommon. And so the response mechanism is is textbook. It's almost like a, they get together on a, on a, on a chat board and they're like, okay, we've got, we've got this going on and we, we, what do we do now? Oh, let's do a plan A plan A. Okay. Let's go with plan A. That'll probably work. I mean, it's just really sad that this is what it takes back through. And I think the thing that, that I, I want to point out is that again, um, when you do an investigation, if you, if you want to have a third party investigation should be done. There, there absolutely should be done in churches and any organization. What is more concerning about this to me is what you're what you're outlining is is not a third party investigation, and to name it that is really discrediting all the valid third party investigations that are going on, and it's hurting more people. It's not really solving anything; it's just creating more hurt. So you already have this pot that's been stirred to boil, and then you get somebody who puts puts their hand in and says, "I'm going to solve it." And then they just stir it up some more, and now you've got more more of a mess going on. So, I I I apologize, and I would just say like to to this group and any group out there that is really thinking they're going to do third party investigations, like just step back and ask yourself, like uh, if you're out of your lane, then don't stop. Like defer to the people that actually know what they're doing, because you this is not an investigation. This is a pat on the back slap in the face. I'm going to pat the pastor in the back and I'm going to slap the victim in the face. And and that's what it is. The thing that for me also was like, just so kind of heartbreaking is like, I continued to think like, okay, he's Dwayne's friends here. Like he's, he has connections with the pastor's but surely, surely, like we all have the same goal of ensuring that our churches are healthy, that pastors are acting in um, faithful ways as shepherds of the flock. And surely, even though you have this connection and even though you probably are not the right person to do this, like you care about Christ's church and you care about this man who is acting in such an unhealthy way, like 
you're going to step in, you're going to see the problem and you're going to want better for this church and for this person. And, um, I thought surely, like, surely we all have that goal. And it's not like they, they saw me as the problem instead of seeing the real problem. Yep. And you're just a long line of women who have been, John is in that line too, and decades and years past. You're just, it's a, it's a long line of women and other people too, uh, that, that just are pushed out and, and just excused away as the problem instead of actually looking internally and saying something's going on here because we are not treating people, we are not treating people well, and we need to figure that out, but it just doesn't matter. And that's, in my opinion, I just don't think it matters to them. And most so. of the stories that we hear don't actually end up like getting, having a paper trail to upper level Acts 29 leadership. And both Joy and I do like that is no. like a huge reason why I wanted to speak out. And I'm sure it contributes to why you wanted to speak out. It's like, it's not just like these small players in the network that are, messing stuff up it's like the top level people just don't care they don't care that's what it comes down to they don't want to listen don't want to listen they don't want to listen because if they wanted to listen but they don't want to listen because that would mean that they actually have to change yeah and that's the truth of it i agree i agree Mm -hmm. well i think it's revealing that there are very different motives behind like here, like we go to church believing that um, we want to know Jesus and share his love and that our pastors want to care for us. I think that there is a profit motive when you have a network of churches that's run like a business where it's always about growth and expansion and numbers, and you're not going to slow the bus down to care for the people um, who get in your way. And um I think their actions reveal like their motive is something other than caring for Jesus's sheep. Well, it also keeps you in power. It's that idea of mm-hmm. power that that I have an I have an authority based on the view the way I view scripture and that authority is absolute mm-hmm. and so I can't be wrong. Like if if I pull at that thread and I think that's wrong, then I've got to start mm-hmm. looking deeper in my own faith. And I think it boils down this is me speaking personally just to fear. Uh, to fear to be like, if I start pulling at threads, then I've got to question mm-hmm. a lot of different things, um, which are all healthy yeah. and we should all be doing that, but we're not going to do it. And we're going to destroy people's lives in the, uh, in the process because we're not able to reflect mm-hmm. and be like, I could be wrong. I might not be treating this person well. I might be sinning myself. And I think what's, what's so unfortunate too, like about the not listening is like in no way, like I wasn't sitting there like screeching about like, oh, this pastor is an abuser. Like, this is terrible. He's so bad. Like, I know that there is this tendency to like portray whistleblowers as like, oh, they just have a personal vendetta or they're like, you know, out to get someone or they're in sin and they're trying to cover. Like, it's really easy to do that. And that's typically the way they get treated. But like, I was in never in any sense trying to even attack or like call out or like my concern was always like one we love this church two we love this pastor and these pastors and we are deeply concerned for their health and want to see it made right and for our like 
concern and love and desire for like truth and reconciliation to be brushed aside like that was um, they were so committed to having a narrative about who is the good guy and who is the bad guy that it didn't matter what we said or what we did. The truth is not fearful of transparency. Mm -hmm. There's if fear is involved, Mm -hmm. if telling if Mm -hmm. speaking up is if an organization scared of telling the truth, there's some problems or digging for the truth. There's some problems. Mm -hmm. So what happened? So they released their findings and then there's a members meeting. So what happened? Walk us through that. So, yeah. So we were um, we had already moved and um, we had been waiting and waiting to hear, like, what are the next steps? We're hoping to have like a reconciliation meeting with the pastors and with Proximus waiting to hear what their findings are. And um, we get an email like asking us, can you come down to North Carolina on this specific Sunday to meet? And um, we are like, no, we already had like something planned. Um, can we do, can we come up with another? Cause you had, you had moved like completely moved. Yes. Yeah. We were long gone. But we, I mean, we had said we will come, like, this is how much we want to restore these relationships. We will drive back down. And like, we had thought we'd be down at that time for our house closing, like to sign the paperwork. Um, But they didn't even get back to us in time for that. Like, it was just the lack, there was no communication. They didn't even like try to make it in the time frame we'd asked for. Um, And so we're like waiting, like, okay, are we going to hear more? And then we get an email that um, had been sent out to the whole church saying, please come to a members meeting on August 21st, where we're going to tell you about Joy LaProd and the problems that we have had with her and a third party investigation that has been done. I remember like a friend texted me. I didn't even see the email myself. Like she sent me a text like, hey, did you know about this? And I was just like, no, <laughs> I I had no idea. Like they scheduled this meeting and never informed us about it, never made an effort to see that we could come or find out what was going to be said or anything like that. Um, but they, again, like in that email said all the same words, charges, investigation, all the things that we had asked them and told them like, this is hurtful, this is damaging, please don't do it. They just did it again um, and said, come to a meeting and we're going to tell you all about it. I've learned more about like trauma now and abuse and like that email, um, like the rest, I remember like sitting down that night trying to play a game with my kids and like I could hardly breathe. Um, and I was shaking at just like knowing like they're doing it again to me. Um, and again, like I have no voice in this. They've silenced me and they're going to publicly shame me in front of everyone. So this congregational meeting happens. The I'm using air quotes. Results are released to the congregation there. Nothing in writing, just Whatever they say was found Mm -hmm. about you and your integrity and your character is said before the whole congregation. You hear this from friends. What what happens next? Is that just the end? Do you get any contact from them? What are the next steps? Yeah. So 
we had been hoping to find the results of their so-called third-party investigation and really ultimately hoping to reconcile or have a chance to sit down one last time and maybe reconcile with the pastors. But, um, you know, after having gone back and forth over email for weeks with Proximus um, and them refusing to answer our questions and then going into that meeting after we heard like that they had lied about me and misrepresented what happened um, and basically slandered me to the congregation, we were (laughs) totally discouraged. We just couldn't continue to work with them anymore. Um, We realized that they really weren't in it for a true third-party investigation. They weren't um, communicating with us. We kind of like took a week or two to just like talk to some people and find out what happened. And um, just knowing at that point, like Proximus isn't going to share any information with us. Um, They told us we won't give you any of our results unless you meet with us and the pastors. And we just, you know, it had been like this coercive process. And, um, you know, we talked about just the way they communicated. We realized like it just wouldn't be helpful to continue. So, um, yeah, I ended up just sending emails to Proximus, um, to our elders and all of the couples that were involved, just saying like, look, we, we have hoped all along for reconciliation and, we love you and and wish that could happen, but it's pretty clear at this point that we can't trust that Proximus is going to treat us fairly. So we sent, I sent an email to them saying like, thank you for what you've done. Um, If we have any meetings moving forward, we will just meet with the elders. Um, We would rather not have you involved because you have lied to us and lied about us. And, um, and then, you know, I sent an email, you know, I sent three separate emails, one to our pastors and the friends that had met with us and just kind of reiterating here is why we can't move forward with Proximus. Like, and we still do, we still want reconciliation, but, um, we can't continue, you know, in this, (laughs) I'm putting air quotes, like so-called process, anymore. Um, it's just too painful and isn't going anywhere. And then last of all, I just, you know, knowing that Dwayne Bond was, um, you know, in a national leadership position for Acts 29, I wanted to kind of reach out to him in that capacity. Like he is supposed to be caring for pastors, um, and our pastor was really unhealthy. I don't know why, you know, Dwayne and Proximus handled things the way they did, but I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, and so I emailed him as well and just said, um, I'm, I'm disappointed with how this has, has happened. I think maybe, um, some of this was misrepresented to you and, um, I would really, you know, given your position. Um, and you know, I want to believe the best of you, like, (laughs) 
if you would like to talk about this more, I would love to do that. And, um, you know, he never responded, um, never acknowledged that he'd received the email, that one or the other one that I'd sent to him and his colleague. And um, it's unfortunate. Yeah. And then the, the final, the final word I got from our former church was an email written by the lead pastor. And, um, it was really sad because in our very first meeting, he had made a statement about how I should be run out of town. And I brought that up in my email and I just said, like, that's basically what happened in this. Like, I don't think that that is the way that the shepherd of Jesus's flock is supposed to treat his sheep. You know, I said, (laughs) I'm just going to read this. I said, you suggested in the first group meeting that I should be run out of town. And that was a deeply hurtful statement. It doesn't reflect the heart of Jesus towards sinners A pastor who wants to drive away members of God's flock as punishment for their behavior is probably not fit to serve as a pastor. I hope you can get help, and I continue to pray for mercy and grace for you and for your healing. And I said, pastors, to all of them, you've been given a position and authority to care for the flock of God, and you use that authority to harm me and my family instead of caring for us. You abused the power that was entrusted to you, and I'm praying God would open your eyes to this and bring you to repentance and to the joy and freedom of forgiveness. And I said, I love you, we love you, and we look forward to the day we can experience reconciliation and restored relationship because we continue to be your sister and brother in Christ. So I'd sent that, just kind of one last, like, maybe, maybe this will get through, like maybe they'll hear and kind of see what's happening and repent, or at least try to start making things right. And um, the last email we got was from the lead pastor. um, And in essence, he said, the problems here, you know, we didn't run you out of town. Um, You made the choice to move on your own, and we will not bear the responsibility for your choices. And essentially, um, you failed to trust us and submit to us. Um, and this is your fault. And so that was just really sad to see him and them doubling down again and again and again. And, um, yeah, that was the last thing we heard from them. And, um, it was sad. Um, but yeah, that was it. That was the end of like 10 years of being a part of that church. That's so heartbreaking and also so confusing. He said with his own words that you should be run Mm -hmm. out of town. And once you leave, I don't understand that lack of accountability with the words that he used and your actions and then wanting to be like, I have no part of that. That's so confusing. Right. It's the, the whole, like I came across somewhere, someone describing, um, spiritual abuse as wrongly assigning responsibility, like making the wrong party bear responsibility for whatever's happening in the relationship. And that is like a perfect Mm -hmm. example of that. 
He said I should be run out of town. He made it clear that he wanted to punish me, you know, for whatever they I was supposed to have done wrong. And people told them, like, you are acting in an abusive way. You're being unkind. You've abandoned them. You've refused to communicate with joy. And, and they wouldn't listen. And throughout it was everything is your fault joy. It's your fault. And, um, it's, you know, it's, it's crazy making because it's just, um, there's just this unwillingness to listen and an unwillingness to take responsibility for anything that they've done. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. And now that you're a little bit farther out, would you say your perspective has changed on if you would have a meeting with them or not? I want to believe that God could still work in their hearts and, open their eyes to the incredible damage they've done and to their own sin. I mean, I believe God can do that. So if that miracle happened and they expressed that and expressed a desire to like work towards reconciliation, I, I would be open to that. But apart from some indication that there was like genuine humility and repentance, it would be, I would be afraid of like getting roped back into more of a, you know, kind of rehashing all of the the process. Yeah. Goodness. Well, that kind of leads us into our next question because, I mean, clearly this was so heartbreaking and damaging to you as a person, just yourself, but also your family. Where are you guys at now? How has this affected you guys? Yeah, I've thought a lot about how I would answer that question, and I still struggle to sum it all up. Um, I know I mentioned before, like, we did end up moving. Um, I mean, that church and that community that we loved so much was what we were there for. My husband had been working a job that was required a lot of travel and had him working out of state a lot. And we were making it work just to, you know, I was kind of living as a single mom a couple of weeks out of the month um, just so we could stay there because we loved that community and were committed to it. And we thought that was going to be our forever home. It was pretty evident early on in the process, like with that, you should be run out of town statement that there wasn't a desire to like heal and reconcile. There was just so much anger coming towards me. Um, and this just like the intent being to punish me <laughs> or um, make me pay somehow. Like we realized like, even if we somehow worked through this, like we don't know how we could stay in relationship and stay in this church given the level of like violence that was, you know, there was no physical violence, but there was just like a violence behind the process that there was just no coming back from, um, I think is the way I would put it. And so that really like that led us to like, we're going to sell our house. This was the house we thought we're going to have grandchildren in, you know, (laughs) um, and we're moving because we just cannot be here. Um, looking around at like the broken pieces of our life anymore. Yeah. So we moved and that was um, just brutally hard on us and on our four kids. Um, Seeing my kids 
grief and suffering as they lost their home was hard. And then for us, like it is hard for me. Like we've walked through, my husband and I have walked through some really painful seasons and some um, just, you know, loss of loved ones and um, incredibly difficult times. But this like by far was the most painful thing that we have ever experienced Um, because it wasn't just one relationship. It was almost our entire community um, that we lost in the process. And um, I'm still, I mean, it's been a year, over a year since we moved away and um, the grief is still there. Um, because there were a number of people that ended up leaving the church over this, but the vast majority, um, you know, after that meeting, the pastors like had private one-on-one meetings with the people who were most vocal and most upset about what was going on. And, um, they kind of manipulated and, twisted the story and, um, basically persuaded people to stay. And we just watched friend after friend and family after family, um, just kind of slip away. Um, some betrayed us in some really painful ways and said some really unkind things and others just kind of dropped out of our lives. And so that just, um, over and over being ghosted, especially like as we were walking through like the most painful season of our life and we're telling people like we need support, we need people to walk with us. Um, It was brutal. I, I don't, I don't know how to describe it. I think you summed it up as well as words are able to sum it up. It is something that is very hard to describe because it's such a deep Mm -hmm. ache. Yeah. Yeah. And it just has, um, I have struggled with holding on to Jesus in this. (laughs) We always hear like the church is supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus and like our experience of church up to that point. We really believed in that, like that church was a safe place. Church was a family. This was our community where we were known and loved and to have that place of safety and trust um, harm us so deeply and, um, in some cases knowingly harm us. Um, I just don't know how, you know, we've been attending a church here, um, which has got some wonderful people, but it's hard to know how to trust again, how to trust a church, how to be part of a church family, um, how to trust God in that. I don't know. I mean, I could go on and on. (laughs) But um, yeah, spiritual abuse is incredibly damaging. In the center, unaware of those around plotting to disrupt her agency, a patch of dirt overplowed by those who made their names irrevocable, stepping on the bodies with no remorse because progress is only for those who climb each hill. Crowded with devious tears, that patch of dirt cracks 
and dries, each inch a sign that her place is underneath a liturgy that proclaims, we eat our own to advance our kingdoms. Yet, she carries on, turning towards a new path, shedding the names you spoke over her, burying them under her feet, and with her back turned away from that dry, dead, and cramped patch of land, she exhales and leaves it all behind. For Jay Coyle, I'm Jonna Harris, and this has been the Bodies Behind the Bus podcast. Views, thoughts, and opinions expressed here are the speaker's own and not those of this podcast. This content is presented for informational and educational purposes that constitute fair use, commentary, or criticism. While we make every effort to ensure that the information shared is accurate, we welcome any comment, suggestion, or correction of errors.